I played cricket as a kid, as uh, lots of guys do, and there was a guy in my little cricket team who told me that one day he was going to play for Australia. He was sure that he was good enough, or at least that he would be good enough, because I can remember, even as a kid, thinking that this guy's not even anything special in our little club team, let alone being among the best in the country. But let me ask you, have you ever heard of Adam Gilchrist? It wasn't Gilly, actually. My friend's name was Jason Vossler, and I'm sure you've never heard of him. He never even came close to playing for Australia. When people talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk, when someone's words aren't backed up by their actions, it can be a bit tragic, can't it? Well, this morning we're going to see Jesus back up his words with actions. Over the past two weeks, although for you it's only one, um, over the past couple of weeks, we've heard what Jesus is on about. At the beginning of chapter 4, you might remember, we heard that Jesus has come to defeat sin and Satan and death. Last week, we looked at uh, the, the, in chapter 4, verses 14 to 30, and there we, we discovered that Jesus declares he's God's Messiah and he's come to save God's people and it's a salvation that will spread over the whole globe, Jew and Gentile. Now, these are wonderful words that, that Jesus speaks, but Jesus isn't just talk. In our passage this morning, he walks the walk and he starts to show Israel that he's the real deal. And he does it by giving Israel tastes of what life's like in God's kingdom. As we heard in our reading, Jesus goes around healing anybody and everybody. It's a kingdom where demons, death and disease have no hand. It's a kingdom that the Lord Jesus wants us to share in as well. It's a great kingdom. And the ultimate question really is, are you in it? Are you in his kingdom? Now before we look at our passage and uh, think about Jesus performing lots of healing miracles, we need to think about why he did them, because then we'll be able to make sense of them. And for this, context is everything. Uh, Last week in uh, the other churches, we looked at chapter 4, verses 18 to 21. And there, Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 61. And in Isaiah 61, Jesus, uh, sorry, Isaiah speaks of God's coming kingdom, a kingdom that will spread over all the world. Salvation is coming. When God brings back his people from exile, he'll restore his people. And Jesus says, Isaiah 61, that's me. I'm coming to restore Israel. I'm coming to bring God's salvation. But that assumes that Israel, the Israel of Jesus' day, needed restoring, doesn't it? And as we read chapter 4 in our passage today, it's clear that that they do. Because back in the Old Testament, God had said that if Old Testament Israel disobeyed his word, then he would curse them. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy chapter 28. And see if they don't sound a little bit like Luke chapter 4. So from Deuteronomy 28. If you do not obey the Lord your God, all these curses will come upon you. The Lord will plague you with diseases. He will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation. The foreigner who lives among you will rise above you higher and higher. The Lord will send severe and lingering illnesses. And then as we read Luke 4, Jesus keeps bumping into people who are suffering from fevers and illnesses. 
They're an oppressed people living under Roman rule. In other words, in Jesus' day, Israel was under God's curse. They disobeyed God's word. They were guilty of sin and they were under his judgment. They needed their sins dealt with. They needed God's curse replaced with his blessing. They needed to be restored to God. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. And he wants everyone to know about it. He's going into every synagogue in Galilee and he's telling them that God's kingdom is coming back and people believe him because he speaks with authority and his actions back up his words. Jesus goes into a synagogue, he teaches about the kingdom and there's a man there possessed by a demon and so Jesus gets rid of it. He talks the talk and he walks the walk. Have a look, verse 33. Luke 4 verse 33. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. Jesus speaks about the kingdom and he shows people the kingdom. And people are amazed at Jesus' teaching. This guy, he talks about God's kingdom like he knows what he's talking about. And look at what he does. It looks like God's kingdom. Verse 36. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And there's more to come. Next, Jesus draws back the curtain of death from the people. Jesus meets Simon's mother-in-law and she is sick with fever. Now, you and I, we hear fever and we think, look, just pop a couple of Panadols and she'll be right. But back then, to be struck with fever is to give the funeral directors the call. You just play the waiting game and watch them die. Fever was a killer. But Jesus is a king. King even over death. So have a look at verse 38 and just try and imagine being there. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. It's amazing stuff. And not surprisingly, news of this is getting everywhere. Come the end of the day, everyone who has something wrong with them come to Jesus for healing, all kinds of sicknesses. But it doesn't matter what the problem is, Jesus cures them all. The curse of God is being replaced with his blessing. Israel is being restored to God. Verse 40. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. All who had various kinds of sicknesses and each one of them is healed. And what we're meant to recognise is that Jesus is restoring Israel. It's Deuteronomy 28 reversed. It's time for their sins to be dealt with. The time of God's curse has passed. It's the time of God's blessing. It's the time for God's kingdom because God's king is here. And Jesus wants more and more people to know about it. He's not doing these miracles for show. He's not trying to win a popularity contest. He's showing Israel that God's kingdom is coming back and he wants people to join him in it. So he's not going to stay in one town. He's got to go to all the other towns and tell them about the kingdom as well because he wants people to join him in it. Have a look at verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. 
the people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that's why I was sent. Now they're an interesting couple of verses, I reckon. Because we've just read a section of Luke where Jesus is nothing short of spectacular. He's casting out demons, rebuking deadly fevers. Every single sick person comes to him and he cures them and yet Luke just keeps telling us. He's come here to preach, not to heal. In verses 31 and 36 we're told twice that the crowds are amazed at his teaching. We've just heard in verse 43, the very reason he came was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And the reason he was so focused on preaching, not healing, is because he came for people. He didn't come to impress people. He came to let people know of God's kingdom because he wanted people to join him in it. Now his miracles, they show what the kingdom of God is like. And that's because Jesus is backing up his words with actions, that he really is restoring Israel. The miracles, his miracles are God's are signs that God's kingdom and blessing are, are coming. His miracles are so that people would acknowledge that he really is the king, ushering in God's kingdom. His miracles were, were to get people to join him in God's kingdom because that's what they came, the king came for. He came for people. It's a fact that's very clearly seen in our next episode. Chapter 5 sees Jesus meet Simon, uh, sorry, sees Jesus tell Simon, who's an experienced fisherman, how to do his job. Now, I don't know if you've ever been told how to do your job by someone that's less qualified than you. It's quite insulting. I remember when I was a, a first year of high school teaching, I'd just finished my three year university mathematics degree and I was teaching year seven algebra and as I finished my explanation one of my students stuck up his hand are you sure sir three years of study at university and a 12 year old questions me on year seven algebra Simon has spent a lifetime preaching he knows how to do it he knows that night time's the best time to do it and now a carpenter tells him to go out in the day after he'd already been fishing all night and caught nothing but such was the authority of Jesus that because it was Jesus who told him to do it, he did it. After all, Jesus had healed his mother-in-law from fever and Simon's never heard anyone teach like this guy does. So, all right, Jesus, it's madness, but because you say it, I'll do it. And, of course, there's a huge haul. Chapter 5, verse 4. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. It's not just a big catch. It's enough fish to sink two boats. And for Simon, it's enough for him to recognise that he's seeing the hand of God which means he's in trouble. Peter's immediate reaction is to acknowledge who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Lord. And then Peter recognises that he's part of the sinful Israel that needs restoring. He admits that he's a sinner and he knows that that's not good when you're in the presence of God. Have a look, verse 8. 
When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now at this point, what's Jesus going to do? With this miraculous catch, he's got the attention of Simon and his friends. They're begging for mercy. What's Jesus going to do with this miracle? Well, the same he does with all his miracles. He uses it to draw people to himself. Because the king came for people. That's the point of his miracles. People are meant to join Jesus in his kingdom. So he tells Simon, stop being afraid. And stop catching fish. Now it's time to catch men. Simon is to join Jesus and to get others to join Jesus in God's kingdom. Second half of verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. You see, the king came for people. And his miracles were just one way of drawing people to himself. And they're a good way, aren't they? For they show the people, they, sh- they, they showed Israel who Jesus is. They showed them something of what God's kingdom is like. So what do we learn about Jesus from what we've seen? Well, that he's the king over demons, death and disease. That he's the Lord over nature. That he brings life where there's death. That he brings healing where there's sickness. That he brings authority beyond compare. That he came for Israel. And that he came to restore them back to God. To bring in God's kingdom. But as we get to the end of our passage, he hasn't done it yet, has he? He didn't usher in God's kingdom with his preaching or his miracles. They pointed to it. His preaching and his miracles told people about the kingdom. But as we saw two weeks ago, it's not until you get to the end of Luke's book that you see Jesus complete his mission. His preaching and his miracles anticipate his death and resurrection. For it's in his death and resurrection that Jesus deals with the sin of Israel. There Jesus, the true perfect Israelite, dies in the place of sinful Israel. And so by dying under God's curse and wrath, Jesus restores Israel within himself in the place of the Israelites. So it's in his death and resurrection where he wins God's forgiveness for his people. It's in his death and resurrection that Jesus restores God's blessing. There he reverses God's curse against his people. There Jesus brings life even in death. There Jesus brings freedom from demons, death and disease. It's in his death and resurrection that Jesus opens the floodgates of heaven for sinners. And as we saw two weeks ago, Jesus is not just come for Israel. He's come for us as well. Us Gentiles are included in the action. All the world's caught up in this. We too can enjoy freedom from demons, death and disease. For in Christ's, judgment, in Christ's death, God's judgment on us can be reversed as well. In his death and resurrection, we too can have our sins forgiven. We too can be brought back to God. The king came for people, all kinds of people, Jew and Gentile. The incredible blessings of God, they're for us as well. Life. Health, freedom from evil, God's blessing, not his curse. It's wonderful stuff. And as people who have been brought into God's kingdom through Jesus, what we're reading is exciting. But it also raises some issues for us, doesn't it? Because we're reading of our king 
our King Jesus and his unstoppable authority. We're reading of his spectacular miracles, healing every sick person that's brought to him. And he's our King. And we're his people. So why do we get sick? And why do our loved ones get sick? If he's the King and I'm one of his people, then why is this happening? Why did he fix up everyone back then, but he just leaves us to waste away? Now, these are real questions. They're hard questions, aren't they? They're good questions. Questions good for us to think about. And the first thing we need to notice when thinking about this issue is that Jesus didn't heal everyone back then. Sure, in our passage, no one misses out. But elsewhere we read that Jesus doesn't heal everyone. But the second thing we need to recognise is that there is a big difference, a big difference between us and the people that Jesus bumped into. We need to remember that his miracles were a sign of God reversing his curse against Israel. Oppression, fevers, severe and lingering illnesses, they were all signs of Israel being under God's judgment. And Jesus comes along and he removes oppression, he rebukes fevers, he heals people from their illnesses. It's a sign that Israel is being restored. So back then, if you're an Israelite and you're near Jesus, well, in a sense, you should expect to be healed. Because God promised that when he restores Israel, healing will come to his people. So if you're an Israelite at the time of the king who's restoring Israel, well, it's healing time. But we're not Israelites at the time of Jesus. And Christ finished his work of restoration at the cross. We live on the other side of the restoration, the other side of his resurrection. We're not Israelites waiting for the kingdom. We're Gentiles brought in after the kingdom's already come in Christ. So we we just can't read Luke 4 and expect that it'll all be the same for us. So what can we expect? What can we expect from our King, Jesus, and life in his kingdom? Well, thankfully, much more. (laughs) Much, much more. As people who've been brought to Christ to join him in his kingdom... We've been given every spiritual blessing. We've been lavished with God's Holy Spirit. We've been lavished with God's forgiveness. We've been adopted into the very family of God. And so many more blessings that God tells us about that he's given us. We have been given wonderful tastes of life in God's kingdom. But unlike Old Testament Israel... We're not given promises from God that he'll heal us. In this life, we are not promised health, wealth and security. In fact, we're promised the opposite. We're promised that we'll have troubles in this life. But we're also promised that those troubles, real that they are, painful that they are, they're not worth comparing to the glories that await us in heaven. We're promised... That in this life we'll have hardships and trials, but we're also promised that God is using them to shore us up for heaven. And as we endure the trials and difficulties of life, we do well to remember that even Jesus himself, it wasn't until his resurrection that he got to enjoy the life free from suffering, free from pain and free from death. He didn't get it until his resurrection And it's the same for us. 
It's at our resurrection that we'll enjoy life free from pain and suffering and death. We have this sure hope of glory. But as we wait, life in the here and now, it's filled with pain, isn't it? And difficulty and despair and death. And that's hard, isn't it? Life's not fun all the time. So what do we do when we face the hardships of life? How do I pray for my friend with cancer? Is it okay to ask God to heal them? Of course the answer is yes. As we've seen today, it's clear the Lord Jesus can heal anyone from anything. But we do need to remember that he hasn't promised to heal them. So as we pray for our loved ones who are sick, we need to know that God can heal them. Yes, he can. So as you ask God to heal them, it's not an empty prayer. It's a prayer that God can answer. But we also need to remember that whatever God chooses to do, it is always for our good. Hard to understand sometimes, yes. But he always works for our good. He's always working to shore you up for heaven. He's always working to bring you into his full and final kingdom. The kingdom where everything and everyone acknowledges Jesus as king. The kingdom where all of his people will enjoy eternal life. Life free from pain. Life free from suffering and life free from death. And just like Israel in Jesus' day, we too have a miracle to point us to the certainty of God's coming kingdom. And that miracle is Jesus, risen from the dead. He's resurrected from the dead, which means that so too will we. We'll be resurrected from the dead on the day he comes back for us. When King Jesus came the first time, as we've seen in Luke 4 and 5, he came for people. And when he comes the second time, that glorious day when he comes back, well, he's coming for people again. He's coming for his people. And on that day, the taste of the kingdom that his people enjoy, well, the taste will turn into a banquet. The wait will be over. The feast of God's goodness, it'll be on in earnest. It's a day that God has promised us. It's a day guaranteed by Christ's resurrection from the dead. It's a day, isn't it, worth waiting for? It's a day to look forward to. No more pain or crying. No more sickness or death. No more sin or evil. Only the enjoyment of God and his people in his new creation. That's what God has got in store for his people. And the king is coming for them. So are you ready for the king? You're looking forward to seeing the king? Do you live with Jesus as your king? For the king is coming with his full and final kingdom. And he's coming for his people. Are you in? Let's pray.